Okay. So back in Romans chapter 10, two weeks ago, they went over, we went over uh, verses 1 through 4. So I'm going to start reading in there. If you'll just read along with me. And uh, then we'll pick up in verse 5 today. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer for God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So, as we're looking back, we went over those. Here you go. Did you get one? Yes. Two weeks ago, we went through that. We went through what the Jews were doing, right? Paul, we're in, we're in Romans. He's talking to the church, the Christian church in Rome. Uh, but we're already in chapter 10. We've gone through quite a bit throughout this letter in Romans. And we're always remembering that there wasn't uh, chapters and verses when he wrote this. He wrote it as one letter altogether. We've already been through Romans chapter 9 um, and talked through the sovereignty of God and how the Jews had rejected Jesus. Um, they rejected him uh, and stumbled over the stumbling, uh, over the, the foundation, the stone that was put there, which was Christ himself. They stumbled over the rock of offense. We see that in, in Romans 9 verse 33. Um, and then Paul here is still just laying out his heart for us. Morning, Mark. In chapter 10, about his heart's desire for his brethren, for those that he was raised with, that he was a part of. Um, he desires their salvation very deeply. But he's explaining they had a zeal for God, but it wasn't in accordance to knowledge. And it was uh, establishing their own righteousness, not of their own. And then he gets to here in verse 4 that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes because they were believing in themselves and their works, um, but not in uh, trusting in God. So we jump into verse five here where he says, for Moses writes that the man who practices righteousness, which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. So here, Moses said this back in Leviticus and you can see that in chapter 18, verse five, where Moses is talking through that and, and putting that out there, that anyone who is practicing the law must live by that law and must fully live by that law, right? So if someone's going to live by the law, what must they do to accomplish the law? You got one? Okay. Yep. Yeah, everything, right? You got copies. Okay, great. Yeah, if they're going to live by the law, they got to live by every piece of that law, right? What happens if they don't fulfill one of the law, one of the laws in the Old Testament? It's like they broke all the law. Okay, Joseph said it right there. That's what I was looking for. It's like they broke all of the law. So here, Paul's reminding them, you practice righteousness, you must keep righteousness. And the Jews practiced righteousness, but they were thinking little of God's holiness, of Yahweh's holiness, of 
his perfect being in himself and what he requires. Um, they were concerned with their deeds and what they were doing to earn their righteousness, right? So they're thinking highly of their own righteousness in this sense, but they're excusing their sins. They're not recognizing that not holding up every part of the law perfectly um, kind of wipes out any obedience that they had at all. They're not seeing that. They're excusing their own sin. And Paul's reminding them of that here in verse 5. We see that as this is a works-based religion, right? This is uh, the Jews were thinking that they could earn this themselves, that it wasn't something that God had to do it on his own, but that they had to earn it themselves. And all of the works-based religions today, uh, they align with Romans 10.3, where it says, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. People make themselves their own idol. And it's very common that that'll happen. They see themselves as their own judge instead of basing it off of God's word. And we need to guard ourselves from that as well, right? And we need to point that out to ourselves and our brothers and sisters in Christ as we live our lives, um, that it's not our own righteousness that's earning anything from God and, and what and how he brings us to salvation. So we can see in verse 5, that's... Paul just pointing back to Moses and what he writes. The man that practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. And then in verse 6 it says, But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. And then in quotations here, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? Question mark. And then in parentheses it says, That is to bring Christ down. So now in verse 6, we're seeing that the righteousness from faith speaks. Paul's writing that here um, in a way that shows us what righteousness is saying. Righteousness that is based off of faith. So what do you think, as a class, anyone in here, what do you think that means? Uh, as it says, do not say in your own heart, who will ascend into heaven? Feedback on that? Comments? Amy, did you get a handout? How so? Because it says elsewhere in Scripture that um, Jesus said that only the one sent from the Father knows the Father's will. That is, that Christ had come down. But only the righteous and the perfect enter heaven. Good, good. I like that answer. Um, yeah, and, and really the easy answer is really just what 
Paul wrote right there, right? That is to bring Christ down. And as Andy's talking about, the only one righteous is Christ himself. Um, so faith-based righteousness doesn't have to go looking for righteousness. The faith represents the very thing that it is derived from belief in God's word. So this faith, if it were to speak, it speaks to works-based righteous belief. So if, if we're in context and we're reading through, we just went over what the Jews were doing, Paul's heart for them, uh, them putting themselves up in their own righteousness, not seeking God's, not doing it in accordance to knowledge, that Moses writes, anyone who practices that way must live perfectly by it. But faith-based righteousness speaks to that, right? It's speaking to that person who believes that. And this faith speaks to works-based righteousness belief. And it's saying, don't think that you or anyone can go to heaven to find it, right? Because in the sense of, in our mind, as a as someone who would believe in faith uh, righteousness that I can derive myself to earn my way to heaven, this faith that Paul's been preaching through all through the Romans here, he's talking as that faith says to that person, it's not something that you can go find. It's not something that you yourself can go to heaven and get it and bring it down to earth. And also it says, and don't believe that you or anyone can find it beyond the sea or the abyss. That's the next verse there. Who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. And he's saying this because they're seeking to establish righteousness on their own. They're seeking to do it themselves. They're not putting their faith in God like Abraham did and just believing his word. And knowing that it's going to happen, not knowing how, right? As soon as Abraham said he believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness, he asked how it's going to happen, but he did not believe it wasn't going to happen. He trusted, yeah, absolutely. So those two options are what the Jews already have thought that they could do themselves. And they declared themselves righteous and in no need for Jesus' righteousness as he came to earth and did his works and lived his life and preached his teaching as he taught and was crucified for it and was put to death and was buried and, and rose three days later and is alive. They didn't believe that they needed that righteousness because one, they didn't trust what he said. And if they didn't trust what he said, then they weren't going to believe in his works that he did. But faith-based righteousness proclaims in the next verse here. Verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is, the word of faith which we are preaching. So faith-based righteousness is proclaiming that the word is near you because it's in your mouth and it's in your heart and that is the word of faith. That is what Paul is preaching. And remember back in Romans where we started and in chapter 1 where God's righteousness is the power to salvation 
for Paul. And that had nothing to do with the works that anyone does here on earth and didn't have to do with the works that the Jews were doing themselves. And then as we go through Romans, you see in the second half of chapter 1 and then all the way up through mid-chapter 3 that all are condemned, that none are righteous, not one, none seek after God on their own, and that in mid-chapter 3 in Romans, that's where God does the work on the cross, where Christ comes down, and it is a gift, and it's a propitiation. Right, Steve? Propitiation? <laughs> it's a satisfact satisfactory payment for the sin of the world. And we gain his righteousness as he takes on our sin. So faith-based righteousness is speaking that. You can't go find it. You can't go do all the work in the world and account that to yourself and credit that to yourself to gain righteousness. You can't be so holy that you bring Christ down from heaven yourself right. to give righteousness to the world. And you can't go find it. It says in the abyss. And in the abyss, um, that's used in a couple different ways, but it's seen as... Um, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, it's talking about beyond the sea, farther than one can travel, um, and seeking and searching for something. And then in the New Testament, it talks about the abyss um, as uh, death and where the demons will be sent to and put away to. Um, so it's beyond any human's reach and our life now. But we're just... We can't accomplish that on our own. And faith based off of what God did is going to say that. It's going to teach that. It's going to come out of Paul's mouth. And it's going to come out of God's word into scripture. It comes right after Romans chapter 9. And we'll see that in a little bit. That that's important too. But what does it say then after that? So then in verse 9, we get to that, it can, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. So that in verse 9 here, the very first word that can also be rendered because, either or, because if you confess with your mouth. But let's talk about what it means to confess. What's your what's your thoughts? What's your definition of to confess? Want to have some feedback on that? Yeah. Yeah, to confess. You're agreeing exactly with what God has said about you, that you are sinful. And in order to a sinful appointment, you cannot save yourself. You are agreeing fully with him. You understand that that's who you are and how you are. Yeah, absolutely. So to confess, just like Rex said, we're agreeing with. It's a, an acknowledgement. And obviously it means to speak. Uh, it also couldn't be uh, meant as a promise, right? So that we confess. And then with our mouth, obviously we're speaking out loud. In this sense, I would definitely think it means to be unashamed 
without reservation. Um, and surely from a, a deep and personal relationship with Jesus. Again, back in chapter 1, um, Paul says it himself in verse 16. And what does that say? He says, chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, it, remember we talked about the it way back when, when we started chapter 1? What is the it in this verse? For in it, The gospel, the power of God for salvation, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from, from works to faith. Is that what it said? No. <laughs> oh. From faith to faith, right? From faith to faith. Just as, as it is written. But the righteous man shall live by faith. Okay, so we're seeing that here in verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth, we're talking about to agree with, to acknowledge, to be unashamed, to be without reservation, um, to do it with a relationship with Christ. So we're acknowledging what God has said, what Christ has said about himself, and we're speaking it, we're saying it out loud. And what are we saying? Jesus as my friend. As our Lord. As our Lord. Okay. Yeah, Lord. Thanks for that correction. So Jesus as Lord. Um, what, is the type, what does the word uh, mean, Lord? In, in Greek, it's the word kurios. But what does that mean? Just the definition of that word. Does anyone know? It's a power Power, authority. What were you going to say? Master. Master. Andy? That's good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy? Feedback on Lord. Just what the word means itself? Yeah, master is the key Keyboard. definition. Despot. One who's in charge. One who's in charge. Great. Okay. So Jesus as Lord. Uh, so this is a title, uh, title of Lord, meaning master, uh, sovereign power, he's in authority, someone in authority. But it was also a common word used, right, in that time. Um, in, in scripture and outside of scripture, it was used uh, commonly to mean what? Caesar. What'd you say? Caesar. Caesar, what do you mean by that? It means that when you lived century in Judea, you didn't call anybody Lord in that sense, except for Caesar. You were, you were bowing to the authority of Rome. Okay. What about the woman at the well that addressed Jesus? Did she see him as sovereign master or as Caesar over the land? Why did she call him Lord? It's pretty simple. It's a word yeah. of respect, like sir. It is a word yes. of respect, sure. Yeah, it is a word of respect, like sir, as well. So it's, it's meant in, in several different contexts throughout Scripture. 
Uh, it's just important that we recognize that. If you do a word search of the word Lord, you'll find it listed almost 700 times. But not every time does it mean master or sovereign authority, but a lot of times it, it definitely does. But it's good to know the difference between that. Um, but it, yeah, in some aspects, Jesus was just addressed as Lord, which would have, in our, in our day and age, meant sir, you know, or gentleman. Right? And called the gentleman, gentleman this morning, and he didn't like that. So I'll just call him man. Sarah would call Abraham her Lord. Right. It's like her husband, but right. Kind of like Wives would call their their husband Lord as well, uh, but not with the same meaning. Right. It, it was a different meaning, but yeah, absolutely for sure. Okay, but we know it definitely as a d d divine title for Jesus, as he um, is described throughout all of Scripture. Right. He's described that by that word by many. So the title of Lord with Jesus, um, it's, it's used a lot throughout Scripture. So in Acts, we see Jesus referred to as Lord 92 times. How many times is he referred to as Savior? Any idea? In the book of Acts? Yeah. Trivia question for a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Joseph says 20, 12, getting warmer, Three. much warmer, Close. just twice, just twice, um, and also just in the entire New Testament, he's referred to as Savior a total of 10, 12 times, right around there, but as Lord, and in the meaning of Lord, as master, as sovereign authority, um, over 600 times. So him described as Lord versus as Savior, um, there's, and Savior is specifically the word, not necessarily calling him Christ or the Messiah, but just the word Savior, right? He's going to be referred to as Christ many, many, many times and just that. Okay, so the other thing I looked at was when both titles are mentioned together, um, all but once, Lord always precedes the word Savior. The exception is in Jude, verse 25. So we'll look at that as well. But um, when both titles are mentioned together as Savior and Lord, he's always declared as Lord first. So, again, I want to make sure we understand the meaning <laughs> of the word and understand what this passage is saying correctly. We don't misunderstand it because um, it, it could be something that is is misunderstood to a point or misused to a point, um, and we want to make sure we understand it correctly. So Jesus, as Lord, we're looking at him as our sovereign master with full authority, um, as Scripture describes him and has titled him, um, also as Savior. But this passage doesn't point out that we call him Savior. It just points out that we should, we must call him Lord um, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead to be saved. Okay, so when we're confessing Jesus as Lord, what is Paul talking about here? And, and I put down all the verses down on your sheet as well. Um, 
So I'd like to get some volunteers to flip to Isaiah. And let's just read these together because I think it's important and we definitely have the time uh, just to read the verse itself and, and see how this title is being used in Scripture and then how it is applied to Christ himself. So let's have a volunteer go to Isaiah 43. Who's got that? Okay. Isaiah 43. Let me get there too. Isaiah 43.3. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Okay, so in this passage, we're looking at uh, Lord and Savior together. And you see that listed here. And who's, who's proclaiming this? I know Isaiah's writing it, but who's speaking here? God. Great. Okay, next, <clears throat> next verse. Jen, do that same one on chapter, verse 11. Verse 11. I, I am the Lord, and beside me, besides me there is no Savior. Okay, also we see the connection there. God speaking. He is the Lord, and there's no Savior besides me. Who's got the next one? Isaiah 45, 21. Got it. Go for it. Declare what is to be present. Declare what is to be. Present it like them. Uh, let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? What, or was it not I, the Lord, and there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a Savior, there is none but me. Okay. Excellent. We're seeing the same thing in God's speaking here through prophet Isaiah. Um, he's saying, is it not I, the Lord, question mark, and there is no other God beside me, a righteous God and Savior. There is none except me. Okay, we see that being proclaimed here. Is God himself saying that again? And then Isaiah 49, 26. Just flip over a couple more pages. Who's got that one? Go for it. Excellent. So we're seeing this repeated again and again and again throughout Isaiah and what he's written um, by the hand of God. And then Isaiah 60, verse 16. It says, You will also suck the milk of nations. And will suck the breast of kings, then you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Okay. Same theme, we're seeing that again. Flip over to Hosea 13. Hosea 13. Verse 4. After Daniel 13 verse 4. Before Micah. Yeah, 13 verse 4. You got that? 
Yeah, go for it. Okay. Uh, yet I have been the Lord your God since the land of Egypt, and you were not to know any God except me, for there is no Savior besides me. There we go. We see the Lord and Savior again. Okay, now let's go to the New Testament. Flip over to Luke chapter 2. seeing the connection, right? It's not just uh, God the Father in the Old Testament only. Here's Christ and our Lord and our Savior. And he's being declared that in Scripture. Excellent. And then all the way over to Philippians 3, verse 20. Philippians 3, 20. Yes, sir. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. And there we have Lord and Savior together, and it's rendered Savior before Lord first. But I missed that one, but that one's flip-flopped uh, from the rest of what we're seeing here. But that's okay, because it's still those same words put together and identifying Jesus as that one, right? And then 2 Peter, we got one, two, three, four verses in 2 Peter. Get one or two of you to flip to that and read those for us. Okay, 111. 111? Yes, sir, 111. You yeah. Oh, wow, right in the middle. Can I just back up online? This is 10. Therefore, my brothers, uh -huh. be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fall. 11 begins, and you will receive a rich welcome to the eternal kingdom of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Great. <clears throat> okay, and then just over one chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 20. Okay, go for it. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has, been, has become worse for them than the first. Okay, again, just identifying him there again as Lord and Savior. We'll see it in chapter 3, verses 2. I get it. That you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Thank you, thank you. 318. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Thank you. Amen. And Jude 25. In the 
Thank you, thank you. All right, thanks everyone. I know that's a lot. That's why I wrote them down for you so you didn't have to just track all those. You can go back and read them, get more context, obviously, as you should. But this should be able to answer the question that who is Jesus as Scripture tells as we're looking through these texts. Lord and Savior. Wait, what was your question? Yeah, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> right? Lord and Savior. Well, those texts also went through a great past and talked of the future. There were some that talked about what is to come, and he is part of what is to come. Right. Yep. Yep. And Lord, especially as seen in, in the Old Testament, um, most of our, our Bibles have that all capitalized, capital L-O-R-D, right? And it's speaking of, of God, um, of the Almighty, right? Of eternity. And recognizing Jesus as God is so extremely important that we can't just say Lord and half-heartedly mean something that is more really a sir, right? If we're calling Jesus sir, because we don't understand the meaning of Lord and understand who he really is, then what are we doing? Right? So confessing Jesus as Lord in agreement with the Father, Jesus is Lord means that Jesus is God. Right? Jesus has all the authority in heaven and on earth. Where do we get that from? Matthew... 28, 18, yeah, yeah, the end of Matthew. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath in Luke 6, verse 5. He is sovereign. He is our sovereign and Lord. We see that in Jude again in verse uh, 4. And he is the Lord of lords. And we see that as well. Um, Revelation 17, 14. So in saying that Jesus is Lord, we commit, we're committing ourselves to that understanding. We're, we're committing ourselves to obeying him. Because we've got to remember as well, what did Jesus say in Luke chapter 6? Verse 46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? There's a plea there. So confessing Jesus as Lord is... Truly submitting to him, to his authority, to recognizing who he truly is. And recognizing we're not just calling him sir. That's really important because I think the majority of this world will address him in that manner. Even though we use the word Lord pretty freely, more freely than we should. As Lord, he owns us. He has the authority to tell us what to do. And it's not enough to only say Jesus is the Son of God, because what does the rest of the verse say here in, in Romans? Put it back there. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Alright? So it's not only enough to say that Jesus is Lord or Son of God, but we must believe that God raised him from the dead. That he is alive. And God raised him from the dead. Why must we believe that? 
Why is that important as well? Because if Jesus is still in the grave, then our faith is useless. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. So him being alive, being raised from the dead, confirms everything he claimed about himself. Does it not? And it confirms everything Scripture prophesied about him. And it accomplished the work to allow dead people to be righteous now with him and with God. It accomplished that. So remember in James, in James' teaching that demons acknowledge the truth about God, uh, in chapter 2, verse 19, they affirm that God is one, that Jesus is the Son of God, but they shudder because they know their judgment. And their judgment is because of their opposition to his authority. And we need to recognize that man can hold similar beliefs Belief that is theologically correct, but does not include Jesus as Lord, as our supreme authoritative master. And that man can still go to hell if he doesn't understand who Jesus truly is. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. We went over that, I guess several months now at this point. But no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so here's a question. Why do we go to so much lengths to get people to say that when we're evangelizing? We just want them to say it. Just say it. Just say it. Say Jesus is the Lord. Why do we do that? You have to understand believe it. Helps a little bit. <laughs> Jerry, you got any feedback on why as Christians in general are so, so inclined to just get someone to say that. Because we have a false dichotomy. <laughs> well, it is a fundamental truth. We, we probably call ourselves have come to that position one time, which is reading in, in Luke, where he says that no one can be my disciple unless he hates his father and his mother and his possessions mm. and everything. So yeah. it's, a, it's a valid concept. <laughs> yes, okay. Yeah, it is a valid concept. It's a fundamental thought. You've got to do more than just say the words. Well, and that's why we're here. And that's why we're studying. And that's why we have Sunday school. That's why church is to come together and learn together and to do these things and understand it deeper. I mean, we might... We definitely won't be there at the time of conversion, at the time of salvation. We won't have this understanding, but that grows because you think, I mean, we, we know Abraham didn't have this complete understanding when he had faith and believed what God said, but he grew in his faith and he grew in his knowledge. And yes, your hand goes up. I'm stretching my shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay, but we know, we know here, and it's important that we understand that speaking it half-heartedly is just vain. And, yes, Amy? It did, the verse that says it's not what goes in your mouth that defiles you, but what comes out of your mouth because it reveals your heart. Mm -hmm. and, and speaking the identity of Christ 
reveals our heart. Mm -hmm. So, consequences yeah. or not. Yeah, and there's so many reasons why individuals will say Jesus is Lord outside of belief. Right. It could be peer pressure, it could be family pressure, it could be where you live or, or um, you know, people at work, or it just could be you don't want to be identified any other way because you don't want to be looked down upon by society in one way or another. And here you're stretching out. No, no, Mark. I don't believe it. <laughs> um, so the key, the key is not what Amy said is true. Is what what we say from our mouth is what comes from our heart. However, you know, it is historical fact that Jesus Christ was an actual person that was crucified. That people that knew him intimately saw him afterwards. So it's it's not a question of whether it happened or not. So that's knowledge. The difference is the heart. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the demons knew who Jesus Christ was. Mm -hmm. The reason why he was crucified was because in that specific context, the Jews knew of one God only. One. All the pagans around them were pagans because they didn't know the one true and living God. Jesus claimed to be that God. Right. And that was why they killed him. Mm -hmm. But the point is, is that yes, you can confess him with your mouth, but if you don't believe in your heart, it doesn't matter. Right. That's that's the dichotomy. Right. Yes, it doesn't matter. So belief must come first, and that's and that's a gift of God. Mm -hmm. And you know, the other thing I thought of as going through the studies, why are these verses here, and not in chapter three, when? We hear of God's righteousness and what he did. Why are, we, why are we seeing it here? It's later in Paul's letter. Again, context, like you just said, it's super important. Where's, what's Paul talking about? Specifically right now, through, from the beginning of, of chapter 9, we'll go through 11, but he's, he's talking about um, the Jews and his, and his fellow brothers that he grew up with, that he knew so well, that he practiced his own self-righteousness with for so long. And he has such a heart for them. And again, we're going through all this right now, and he's just laying his heart out to them and for them and about them. Um, and also preaching the gospel, preaching the word of faith, and um, doing it in a manner that it does come after you know, Romans chapter 9, where we went over God's sovereignty and how he is in control. And um, there's... As, as vessels, you know, he desire, he designs each vessel how he desires. And it's up to him. And all are, are in submission to him, one way or another. And now here we're reading and we're learning from Paul of what is to come out of the mouth and what is to be believed in the heart. So in verse 10, belief results in righteousness and confession results in salvation. Yeah, that's in, in uh, ten one. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God, really on his heart, for the Israelites is that they may be saved. And he goes through the rest of the details. Mm -hmm. of what do. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's what he was. That's what he wants them to be. Sure, absolutely. And as he's saying this, as he's writing this um, to the church in Rome, knowing so many will hear this and read this. 
he, he has a point to do that and say this, because they'll know. The Jews will definitely know what calling Jesus Lord means. Or we might take it, take it out of context today and might say it incorrectly in unbelief. Um, I think they, they knew better. Well, I think two areas is they'll say the word Lord a lot, but we know that along with Jesus, they're not speaking of the, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, that we know of. It's a different Lord, it's a different Jesus. Mm -hmm. Think a lot also, you know, they recognize that Jesus has that title of Lord, like he's the Lord, but I think some people are still kind of coming around and understand that Jesus is like their own Lord too. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. And that means that they need to, like, like Jesus is their master. Right. But, and yes. Paid for their sins, right? Right. It's their personal Savior. Yeah. Yeah? yeah? So verse 9 does the salvation come uh, by confessing first and then believing in the heart? Gotta believe first. Gotta believe first. Believe first. Okay. <laughs> well, the order's backwards there in nine. Confession first and then believe in your heart. <laughs> Wait, it doesn't say then both ends. Yeah. 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 If you got one, you got the other. Right. And then, and then verse 10. If you just go to there, I mean, it is in the order that it happens. But again, yeah, both and. For with the heart, the person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in, in salvation. Right? It has been pointed out, though, that the, the order of that happening, um, you don't confess first and then believe it is... It is your heart that's changed first. Um, and then you're able to, right? And then you're able to do what 1 Corinthians 12.3 says uh, and confess Jesus as Lord. So for with the, with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. A righteousness is the result of the belief of the dead person, spiritually dead person, right? Making them spiritually alive. That belief changes their position with God. So who, who can inherit the kingdom of God? Question for you, class. Who can inherit the kingdom of God? Those who have been born again. What does being born again make them? Adopted, okay. Positionally, what is that, where does that put them? What's that? It's the one the covering of grace. His righteousness. Seated in the heavens with Christ. Yeah. Yep. Right. His righteousness. That's what I'm getting at. It's it's Christ's righteousness that we are given as that complete free gift that we have and that uh, positions us in uh, a position to be able to go into Kent and into the kingdom of God. Because um, only the righteous can inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, and then the second half, verse 10, but with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So, as we've looked through today, salvation, salvation comes from proclaiming, confessing, and submitting to Jesus as Lord, 
as the sovereign, almighty God of this world and the universe, um, that confession, it sets pride aside. So, especially as we're talking in context of, of Jews, and we can put that in context today of uh, many that don't know Christ, that are doing works-based righteousness, back to verse 3 again, not knowing God's righteousness, but seeking to establish their own. That's what the Jews were doing. Um, that's what false religions are doing. That's what many um, outside of any religion are trying to do when they just think, well, I'm a good person and I'll go to heaven because of the good things I've done. That's all it's based in pride. Right? It's all based on what we can do. What we can accomplish. And ignoring the facts of the, the pile of sin that we have. We just yeah. throw a tarp over it. Seems like when they get so caught up and think about all the good things they did, they forget about all the bad things they did also. That's what they're going to judge for. Sure. And we don't even, they probably don't even know the bad things, right? Because yeah. it hasn't even been revealed to them. Yeah. And that's what the law is there for, to reveal our sin. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Puts a mirror up to man so that we see ourselves truly as we are because we don't ever recognize that on our own we'll never see our, our rottenness without seeing that mirror and seeing uh, how sinful we are so that confession puts that pride aside and that's what that's part of what that's doing is setting our pride aside and saying no he's the one he did that he accomplished it he is the lord he is the savior confession um results in salvation and it's confessing that the God man Jesus the Christ he is the one and the only authority and we must submit ourselves to his words but that starts with the confession and if you think about it so does so many of our our blessings in life starts with confession to our Lord and our our God right and when we talk about taking communion together and we talk about things going on in our lives as believers, as those in Christ, as the body, um, so much more comes out of it to us through confession first. And uh, as Scripture states, I mean, God wants us to come to him with a, a lowly heart contrite heart not prideful not putting ourselves first and thinking how great a job we've done but relying truly and fully and completely on him and his work so it starts salvation starts with confession and our sanctification sanctification continues on through lots and lots and lots of confession after confession, the believer can begin to live truly. That's when sanctification begins. We begin to serve Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. And we're doing it from the correct position that he wants us in and with a clean heart. So again, in chapter 10 here, Rome, uh, Paul in Romans, he's laying this out. With his desire, his heart, just turned towards all the Jews. Knowing them and loving them. 
And he made such a point through the end of chapter 9, end of chapter 10, that they're just chasing the wrong righteousness. And then it's not based off of faith, but it's based off of their works. And that true righteousness says, it speaks, that you're not going to find it on your own. You're not going to go to heaven and bring it down. You're not going to go far and bring it back to you. It's there. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. You already know it because Christ is already there through the Spirit living in you. And it proclaims these words that we are going through in, in Romans and through all of Scripture. Identifying Christ properly and addressing Him in love with the proper title. With our hearts in the correct position. And using our mouths to confess who we are, but what Jesus is. Right? Okay, that gets us through verse 10. Next week we'll pick up in 11. Plan to go through 15. Any other feedback? Questions, comments? I just, yeah, actually I like verse 8 because, like you said, the word is like in our mouth and it's in our heart. So it totally just overthrows any idea of what, like religion would tell you, that you need to go to the spar of the mountain and go climb to the top and maybe you'll you know, do something worthy enough to get to heaven. You know, do these things are so far out there. It's like, no, it's just right there. Just, you know, confess it and God's yeah. ready to see. Yeah, you're right. It is. It's right. It's right there. It's not beyond our reach. It's beyond what we can do, but Christ has done it already for us. It is finished. Well, like I said, the first part of Romans, it tells and reminds us how sinful we are. And this 10 is just, it's so needed. It was then, obviously, but so needed today for us. Even as a reminder, as Christians, we need to be reminded almost daily of the gospel. And, and the, what they call the 18-inch rule is what I've heard before. 18 inches from your mouth to your heart. <laughs> Confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's so, so applicable to us today. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> All right. Joseph, you mind closing us in prayer? Father well, God, um, thank you for this time we had together and just uh, the joy of going into your word and just, just being reminded of your gospel and truth. And, yeah, how it's just so near to us, Lord, it's just we need to confess. And, yeah, you're ready to save us because the work is done. Uh, please bless that we'd have a good time the rest of the uh, day and we'd be safe going home. Yeah, you'd be present with us. In your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks, everyone.